You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. In your Bibles, Luke chapter number 1. <clears throat> I love that part. I've I've got Jesus, who could want more? you got all that you need right there in Christ. He, God is the I am that I am. What's that mean? He means he, he's, he, he's whatever you need him to be. He's, he's your peace, he's your comfort, he's your joy, he's your everything. And I'm so thankful for, for good Christian songs to sing. Luke chapter number one in your Bibles today. And uh, <clears throat> the message... You'll see as it goes, you know, where it's going, but at first when I give you the title, it, it may not make a lot of sense to you, or you may not see how it's going to get to this point, but so we're going to look at, last week we looked at Mephibosheth, that awesome name. The next baby in our church needs to be named Mephibosheth, all right, but uh, maybe not, maybe not, but... Uh, but uh, we looked at his life a little bit, and today I want to look at the life of one of my favorite people in all the Bible. In fact, the, the, the person we're talking about today, such incredibly high things are said about him, and he is the one that spoke the verse that is my life verse. This is the person that said, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's John 3.30. I've taken that as my life verse. I, I, I want that to be what my life is about, that, that he would increase and I would decrease. I don't want my life about me. I want my life about Jesus. And so but the, the person that said those things and the person we're talking about that you may already know, but he's an incredible man in the Bible, and his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Look down, if you would, at Luke chapter number 5, <clears throat> and... Uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry. I heard the pages and I was like, that's not right. Luke 1, verse 5. Verse, come on, folks, read my mind. Know what I mean. Know what I mean. Here we go. Luke 1, 5, the Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child. Because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years, and it, so they were old now. And uh, it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. So he was in the priest's office there, and he was doing what he was supposed to do. Verse number 10. The whole multitude of the people uh, uh, were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, thou shalt call his name John. I want to preach a message today that you'll see in a little bit, but... I want to preach a message entitled, What Dark Days Can Bring. What Dark Days Can Bring. Father, I pray that you would bless this message today. I pray that, Lord, I would not be in your way of what you want to do. I pray that you would have your way in our lives today and in our hearts. God, help me not to be a distraction. Use my voice. 
Lord, and, uh, and, and fill me and fill us that we would listen and hear from your word today and strengthen some people that may be struggling with some things in here today. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. I want you to see several things by way of introduction about this man named John the Baptist. The first thing I want you to see is the prophecy of his birth. The prophecy of his birth. He, it's prophesied right here that uh, the angel comes and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And they're, and they're old and stricken in age, and even Zacharias in the next couple of verses doubts it. Look at verse 14. And the, and the angel said unto him, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. So hey, th this baby, it's going to be a joyous thing. And look what it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. That's a prophecy. That this baby's going to be great and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And, and, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him. And, go before who? Go before Christ. And the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What's that talking about? The last verse in the Old Testament mentions that there would be a prophet that would come in the spirit of Elijah that would uh, turn the hearts of the father to the children, the hearts of the children to the father, and prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so his birth was prophesied. What a unique situation. You know, we, were, uh, we had four kids, but no angel came to me and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. And they're going to be great. You know, it, it didn't happen that way. Like, we don't get that. This was a very special occurrence. So he was a marked man from birth by God. The prophecy of his birth, but I also want you to see the purpose for which he was sent. The purpose. So why was he prophesied about? What was John's purpose? Look, if you would, and, and I want you to hold your place here in the book of Luke, because we are going to come back to Luke. We're going to flip back and forth between Luke and the book of John. Would you go to John chapter 1, please? John chapter 1. Now, John was not, John, the book of John, was not written by John the Baptist. It was written by the apostle John. And uh, so there is a difference there, and uh, a couple of Johns in the Bible. But this was written uh, by John, but he writes about John the Baptist, okay? So we saw the prophecy of his birth, but look at what the purpose for which he was sent. The, why was John the Baptist sent? What was he sent to do, okay? Look at John chapter number 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John 1, 6. His name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. In other words, he was not Jesus. He was not the Messiah, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Look at verse 19 of the same, uh, same chapter. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then art thou, Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So he was saying what his purpose was. Now, when he was saying there, are you that prophet? They weren't referring to Elijah. They were talking about the prophet that's mentioned in Deuteronomy that would come, which is a foreshadowing of Christ. He said, are you Christ? Are you that prophet? No, 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 I'm not. I, I, I'm not that. I am, but he, but he was 
the prophet that was to come to, to prepare the way of Christ. So John, and, and they continue to ask him different things. And if you look at verse number 35, they asked him and said, why baptizest thou then if thou, not, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. So here is the greatest prophet saying, hey, I'm not Christ. I am here to tell you that he's coming and I'm going to tell you, he's even here, and you guys don't even recognize him. And I'm not worthy even to strap his sandal. I'm not worthy of that. What I love about John was that John was very clear on who he was. John was very clear on who he was. He knew that he was to be the one the, uh, in the Bible, the one that goes before. He not only knew and was clear on who he was, he was clear on what his job was. He knew the task that God had given him to do, to go before and to, to bear witness of the light, to come and say, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. He has come to save us. He was, he was clear on who he was. He was clear on what his job was, but he was also clear on who Jesus was. He was clear on who Jesus was. Now, folks, can I just stop a second and say, these are three things we need to be very clear about. We need to be very clear on, on who we are. Okay? We're not like the world. We're not like everybody else. We are Christians. We need to know who we are. We need to know where we fit. We need to know where we belong. But we also need to be, uh, be very clear on what our job is. What is our job? Our job, yes, is to worship and glorify God, but he gave us a task too, didn't he? In fact, we call it the Great Commission, that he gave us a mission to do, which is to spread the gospel to all the world. So we need to be very clear on who we are. We need to be very clear on what our job is, but we also need to be very clear on who Jesus is. That's important, to know who Jesus is. And there's a lot of people today that worship who they think Jesus is. But we need to know from the word of God who he is. So we see the prophecy of his birth. We see the purpose for which he was sent. But I also see the performance of his task. He did it. He did it. Verse 7 of John 1. The same came for a witness, why? To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Look at verse 15. John bear witness of him. So verse 7 says, he came to bear witness. His purpose on earth was to witness that this is the Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, which he's about to say in just a minute. So, and then look at verse 15, it says he did it. He did it. He prepared the way for God. He was out in the wilderness preaching. He was baptizing people. He did everything he was supposed to do. He performed the task that God put him on here. That challenges me to do the work that I was put here to do. To not get distracted, but, but perform the task that God had given me. But here's the thing. John was given that task and he performed it. But now what? The only prophecy we know is that he was supposed to prepare the way of the Lord to say, and then when Jesus comes on the scene, go, that's him. And now Jesus is on the scene, and John goes, that's him. What now? What do you do after that? Well, he performed his task, and, and, he, he, and I, I think that the disciples, if you remember in the Bible, the disciples were very confused on what the Messiah was going to do. Remember, the disciples thought Jesus is going to come to earth as the Messiah, 
And he is going to set up a kingdom. He's overthrowing Rome. He's ruling and reigning right now on this earth. That's why they were so confused about the crucifixion and things, because they thought, hey, Jesus is about to take over. You know, this is the, this is the revolution. Jesus is coming. And, and they misunderstood that he was coming to die, not coming to reign right then. And I wonder if John the Baptist did not have some of the same concerns. I wonder if John the Baptist, because we're not told, but his disciples thought that. And I wonder if perhaps John may have thought the same thing. But nonetheless, we'll get to that in a minute. John steps into the background now that Christ has come, but he's still preaching. I want you to take your Bible. I did say we're going to go between John and Luke, but I want you to look at one other place. I want you to look at the book of Mark, because not everything is recorded in one scripture, but Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter 6. So what does John do? He continues to preach. But I want to tell you that not only have we looked at the prophecy of his birth and the purpose for which he was sent, the performance of his task, but I want you to see the price of his preaching. The price of doing right. He paid a price. In Mark chapter number 6, look if you would at verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So here's John the Baptist standing up to the ruler of that day and saying, you married your brother's wife, that is wrong. It's not lawful for you to do that. And so Herod... Herod liked John, but he put him in prison because of Herodias, which was his brother's wife that he took. For her sake, he put, her in, put him in prison. Verse 19, therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. So she was mad. She was angry that John would dare to preach against them and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. So he watched John and knew that he was a holy man. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. When a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias, so the person we're talking about, Herodias, when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. This whole situation is kind of messed up. And so this, this young lady's dancing, and Herod's like, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And he swear unto her, whatsoever, verse 23, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. So he makes this promise, this foolish promise. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? Now, what would a young lady like? Teenage girls, if you could talk to the President of the United States and he said, I would give you anything you want to the half of my kingdom, what would you ask for? Think about that for a second. Like, what would you want? And here's the logical thing that, that happens here. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Don't you want a severed head, young ladies? Isn't that what you want, really? That mom was so bitter and so mad that a man... A prophet of God had the guts to stand up and say, what you're doing is wrong. That she said, off with his head. And using this, uh, not even letting her daughter get something nice. She's like, I want you to come back with John Baptist's head on a, on a, on a platter. 
She came in straightway, verse 25, with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. On Thanksgiving this year, imagine instead of the turkey, there's a severed head. What in the world? The world is so corrupt, and it's not just in 2022, it's been that way. Verse 26, and the, world was ex- and the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for the sakes which, uh, which uh, sat with him, he would not reject her. So he had these men there, he couldn't go back on his word, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the, mother, and, and the damsel gave it to a mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. As a reward for doing the right thing, he gets thrown in prison. As a reward for preaching the truth, there's manipulation that takes place and costs him his life. Beheaded for doing the right thing. I wonder what John was feeling as he sat in prison for doing the right thing. For doing the right thing being in prison. Roman prisons were no picnic. Roman prisons, they didn't even have a television. Would you believe that? They didn't even have three meals a day. You know, no three hots and a cot. No three hot meals. No, no bed. It was like there's the, there's the uneven a cobblestone or brick floor that you get to sleep on in your shackle. It was sometimes a pit they were just thrown into. And so it's, it's not a fun place to be. And he's in prison for doing the right thing. We don't know how long he was in prison. But I want you to go, and I want you to see verse number, uh, Luke chapter 7, please. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're getting to the, I want you to see all this background so you can see this here. We've looked at the prophecy of his birth and how amazing that was. We've seen, we've seen his purpose, why he was sent. We've seen the performance of his task, that he did his job, and the, that, he, that he then paid a price for doing his job. He paid a price for doing right. And can I just tell you, there's a price to pay no matter how you live. If you live for yourself, there's a big price to pay. If you live for this world, there's a price to pay. But if you live for God, there's a price to pay too. But I'd rather pay the price to live for God and reap eternal rewards in heaven than pay the price to live for myself and have nothing to show for it. So they're going to pay a price either way. And John's paying a price. Luke chapter number 7, if you would. But now I want you to see the problem of his perception. The problem of John's perception Look at John chapter number 7, verse 19. John's in prison. Again, I, I, maybe I could have, have dug deeper and, and find out exactly how long, but I, I, don't, I don't know that we know exactly how long he was in prison. But you do know he was in a miserable state from doing something that was right to do. He fulfilled the task he was on earth to do. I mean, he did what he was, what he was sent to do, and now he's just continuing to preach, and now he's, pre- now he's in prison. And I wonder if in John's mind... There wasn't that thought, but I, I thought Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to set up that earthly kingdom. I wonder if that thought was there. Look at Luke chapter number 7, verse number 19. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now that may seem like a statement that's harmless, But can I remind you what John said, John the Baptist said in John chapter number 1? In John chapter number 1, verse 29, and if you want to flip there, you can't, you don't have to, but in John 1, 29, here's what it says after he said, I'm not worthy to to even latch Jesus' sandal or the, the Messiah's sandal. 
In verse 29 of John, listen to these verses. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew him. He recognized the Messiah. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And then he says this, And I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now time out for a second here, okay? Obviously John had been given a sign from God, and God had told him, You will know who the Messiah is because you will see the Spirit in the shape of a dove coming down upon this person and staying there and that is how you will know that it's the Messiah but wait a second John and Jesus were cousins John the Baptist's mother was Elizabeth Elizabeth's cousin was Mary how did he not know him he says twice in there I did not know him I did not know him why I'll tell you what Jesus grew up in Nazareth and the Bible says in Luke chapter 1 verse 80 that the baby John was in the desert until the time of his showing he didn't even know his own cousin didn't recognize him but when he saw Jesus coming he said oh no that's the one he didn't say there's my cousin he said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and now here he is getting baptized and John when he gets in the water in another passage and I think it's in Matthew John says I am not worthy to baptize you and John, Jesus says suffer it to be so now allow it to happen now this is an example hey do this thing now and, and then John sees this the voice of God he knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is Christ. He knows that Jesus is Messiah. So how do we explain this question in Luke chapter 7? How do we explain this question in Luke chapter 7, verse number 19? And John calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or do we seek for another? Do we look for another? Now some people say, John just wanted his disciples to know who Jesus was. That was John's job the entire time, was to tell people who Jesus was. I think they knew. Some people think, you know, that, that John was just, you know, confirming that, yeah, that's, yeah, I just want to, you know, double down that you are Jesus. I don't think this would happen. I'll tell you what I think happened. I could be wrong. We could get to heaven and John could be like, what were you thinking? That was wrong, you know? I believe from what I've read here that this is what happened. Perhaps, this is the part that's a perhaps, perhaps John did anticipate that Jesus would be coming to rule and reign right then. But here's John in prison for doing the right thing in a pit. He's in pain. He's in a, the, the worst trial of his life, probably. He's in tribulation. He's suffering. He's probably in a deep, dark pit somewhere with no light in a Roman prison. And the Messiah doesn't come visit him. Nobody breaks him out. He hears from his disciples, no kingdoms being set up. And maybe, 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 for just a moment... 
a little bit of doubt creeps in. And he says, ask, ask Jesus, are you the one we seek for? Or do we seek for another? Well, look, John already declared him. But now he's saying, is this the one? Are you the one? Maybe he wondered why he was not visited in prison. Maybe he wondered why if Jesus was the Messiah, he was in prison in the first place. But I want to tell you, you know what a dark day in your life can bring? Doubt. That's what dark days bring. Dark days bring doubt. Suffering brings doubt. Pain brings doubt. Sorrow brings doubt. Tribulation brings doubt. Temptation brings doubt. And sometimes it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing how the, the greatest prophet born among women seems here, and I, and I believe this to be true, for a moment, and I'm not, I'm not throwing John under the bus here either. I still think he was, what the Bible says, one of the greatest men to ever walked this earth. But for a second, there was some doubt. And, and what amazes me is that pain that we suffer and trials that we go through and temptations and dark days can bring us to question the most fundamental truths that we've believed. We, we can come to question the, the, the very fundamental parts of our faith. We can question whether the Bible is true. We can question if God truly does exist. And by the way, don't look around in here like, you know, oh, no one, no one ever does that. Yeah, we all go through crises of faith. We all face times where we wonder, is this real? See, the devil did this with Job too, didn't he? He goes to Job, and he goes to God, he says, God, if you, would, if you would bring some dark days upon Job, he will curse you to his face. The only reason he trusts in you, the only reason he has faith in you, is because you're so good to him. And God said, don't kill him. But you can touch him. But you know what the devil didn't reckon on? The integrity of Job. And that Job, even in the midst of that, but can I tell you, if, re, if you read Job, if you read Job, there are some times in there where it seems like Job is like, man, I don't know, and maybe a little whiny, but he does come through with statements like, I know my Redeemer liveth. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And though I'm going through the fire right now, I'll come forth as gold. But I want to tell you, there's times I believe in every Christian's life. I believe in every Christian's life. There are times where you doubt. You doubt something. You doubt maybe the marriage can work. Maybe you doubt if your kids are going to turn out right. Maybe you doubt if the Bible's true. Maybe you doubt that anything you're doing for God is actually working. I've been teaching this class for 20 years. Where's the fruit? And maybe there's doubt about something. Maybe it's a promise of God and how God is going to provide for you and God is going to care for you. And, if, you know, and, and so we, we doubt. Well, I don't see how the funds are coming in. God says to tithe, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And we can live in doubt as a Christian. Why? Because dark days bring doubt. It was the psalmist who said, will the Lord cast off forever? Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? He's just saying, hey, you know, it's, it, 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 he was in a dark place and saying, is God going to just cast us off forever? Is, is God's blessings off my life forever? Can't tell you how many pastors say things like, I think God's done with me. I don't know that God can use me. And what's happening? There's a dark day, and the devil's trying to get in there with doubt, 
trying to make doubt creep in. You know what our world says? Our world asks the question over and over, if God is good, why is there suffering? You know what that does? For us believers, sometimes if we're not careful, we can read a meme, we can see a quote, we can see this carefully worded question, and it can shake our faith a little bit. And a little, a little piece of doubt can creep in of if God is real, if the Bible is true, if, it, 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 are we believing right in the Bible or are Mormons right or are Jehovah's Witnesses right? Or all, and we can sometimes let a little doubt creep in. And I believe that's what's happening here. When you're in a valley, you're in a dark place, you can doubt God's goodness. You can doubt the word of God. You can doubt that God cares for you. You can doubt that God loves you. You can doubt that God could ever use you again. There's a million different doubts you can have, but they usually come during a dark day. When something's going on in your life, when there's trouble, there's a trial, and we can almost become like the world and say, God, if I'm suffering as a Christian... How can we say you're good? But well, we know better. We know better as Christians. Most, if not all Christians, I believe, I'll say it again, I think you'll go through a trial of your faith. Love must be tested. Faith must be tested. And there's a time maybe we'll, where you will doubt everything. And everything you've ever believed in will creep in. And if you can emerge from that, I'm going to tell you that you can have an assurance like no other. What do we do, just very, very briefly today? What do you do when doubts arise? What do you do? I want to look at this passage here very briefly and show you just a couple things. What do you do when doubts arise? I want you to look at this passage really quickly here, John chapter number 7. Look, if you would, at verse number 21. And, and so, uh, verse 20, so he says, Art thou he that should come or look for another? Verse 20, when the men were coming to him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us, as he's saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? John 7, 21. And in that same hour, he, Jesus, cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor the gospel is preached. And also tell them, and blessed is he, John, whosoever should not be offended in me. That's what you need to tell John. In other words, John, it's no time to doubt. We sang the song a minute ago, no need to doubt him now. He'll make a way somehow. Hey, this is not the time to doubt. Jesus said, Go tell him what you just saw and what you just heard. Because Jesus healed people. You've seen it. You've heard it. Now go tell him. If you want to be careful, what do you do during dark days? I'll say first of all this. Check your influences. Check your influences. What does Jesus tell him? He said, I want you to see some things. I want you to hear some things. And I want you to relay that to John. Check your influences. Um, if, if you want to, uh, you don't need to, but Galatians chapter number 3, there's a verse there that's very important. And uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Listen, it's Paul speaking, Paul speaking to the Galatian people. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. You saw it with your eyes. 
Who has bewitched you? Who has fooled you? Who has tricked you into doubting that Jesus is God? Then he doubles down on that statement in chapter 5, verse number uh, 9. He says this. Ye did run well. Verse 7. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little bit of doubt makes the whole thing go bad. What's he saying there? Paul is saying somebody got to you. You believed, you saw Christ, you've seen God do things, but somebody got to you. And can I tell you, church, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've seen God come through for you, you've seen God do things for you, you've seen answers to prayer, you've heard God's voice in your own heart, you've been convicted, many of you have walked an aisle and prayed, you've seen God do amazing things for you, you know who he is, but in a dark day, in a dark day, sometimes it's easy to say, I don't even know if this is true. No, no, no. Who is influencing you? Who is influencing you in your dark day? Jesus told John's disciples, hey, report what you see, report what you hear. Then Jesus did some things that they're worth seeing and hearing. Sometimes the worst thing a Christian can do is listen to pop culture Christianity. It's so, I, I hate so much what is put out there as evangelicalism and Christianity and all that kind of stuff because a lot of it is straight garbage. It's not based in Bible. It's not based in anything real. We read these, these things online and, 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 and it causes us to shake our faith, to believe things that we've always believed to be true about God's holiness or whatever it may be. Here's the thing about doubt. You, you can't doubt something without trusting something else. You, you never doubt something without trusting something else. Let me explain. Eve, Garden of Eden. Here she is in the Garden of Eden. She never doubted God's word until she started trusting the devil's word. See, if you're, if you're doubting God, it's because you're believing something else. You can't doubt something without believing something else to be true. So I want to ask you, when there's, and I'm not mad at you because we all go through this, but when doubts come in your life, who are you believing? Who are you listening to? Who are you, who, who are you giving an ear to? G. Campbell Morgan was a famous preacher. He wrote many books, and I've got several in my office. He was successful as a preacher at 19 years of age. G. Campbell Morgan. He was attacked by doubts about the Bible, though. He just couldn't get over it. At 19, he just felt like, is this thing even true? Because he had been reading scientists and agnostics like Charles Darwin. And, uh, and, and other ones, John Tyndall and, and Thomas Huxley and Herbert Spencer. He read their books, he listened to their debates, and it shook his faith. It shook his faith. So what did he do? He canceled all his preaching events. He took every book he had, he put it in a cupboard, and he locked it, and he walked down to the bookstore, and he bought a brand new Bible. Hadn't been marked in, he didn't have any notes in it. A brand new Bible. And he decided, I'm going to find out, is it true or not? And here's what he said. I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this I am sure, if it be the word of God, and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. He said, if I come to the word diligently seeking for truth with an open mind, and it is the word of God, God's going to let me know. God's going to let me know. You know what happens later on? He said this statement. He said, that Bible found me. That Bible found me. Maybe you need to cut off TV during dark days. 
Maybe you need to delete the Instagram account during dark days, or Twitter, or whatever your favorite social media platform is. Because what? Because you're listening to the voices of doubt during the dark days. What do we need? We need the word of God. Faith, faith is the opposite of doubt. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Check your influences. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 7 again here. And I want you to see this too. After Jesus says, hey, go tell what you just heard, what you just seen, and tell John, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. That doesn't, you know, doesn't have a stumbling block because of what, what they think of my life, that I'm not doing what they thought I should do. And it's not offended by this. Verse 24, I, lo- I, I love this, I love this part. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? That's not John. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, and I say unto you, and much more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, Jesus, God himself, saying unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. Jesus said, among all those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Here's what we need to see. When when John was at his lowest, Jesus gave him the highest compliment. When John was at his lowest, so here's the thought with this. What what do we need to learn from this passage here? First of all, hey, we got to check our influences. But when you go through a dark day, I want to say secondly, remember that God is still God. His character doesn't change. Here's Jesus, just has the prophet John come to him with a doubting statement. And Jesus says, hey folks, what did you come out to see? What you saw was the greatest prophet. Jesus' character did not change just because John had a dark day. And you know what? Just because you and I have dark days, and just because you and I may doubt from time to time, that doesn't mean that God's like, done with you, forget this guy. His character doesn't change. God is still God. Even when the day is dark, even when you lose some hope, even when you can't see how to get through it, God is still God. When you doubt, God's nature does not change because God is love. And Jesus is God, and God is love. Just Look, just because someone doesn't believe hell is, is real doesn't mean that hell's not real. Just because uh, you may face some doubts about God's love for you or God's promises, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that his promises aren't real, or that he won't fulfill them. No, he will still do it because that's his character. Even when you doubt, God is still God. Oswald Chambers, a famous preacher of years ago, said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. That doesn't, if God doesn't deliver me, that doesn't mean I get the right to doubt. I'm still going to believe that God is love even during the dark days. What do you do when you doubt? Check your influences. Who's getting to you? Maybe it's just the devil. Remember that God's character does not change 
just because you doubt. He's still good. He's still God. He's still going to be there for you. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to pick up the shield of faith. Pick up the shield of faith. In Ephesians 6, 16, the armor of God, it says above all. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What are the fiery darts of the wicked? Arrows set on fire, shooting at you. They're, doubts of, they're, they're darts of doubt. That's what they are. And what's the answer? The Bible says, above everything, you better pick up that shield of faith. You better pick up that shield of faith because the devil is constantly firing the, the, these fiery darts, these flaming arrows at you. You better be careful. They, 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 they're fiery arrows that stick in us and that continue to burn until we pull them out. That doubt will continue to eat at you until you get it out. What's the answer? You pick up the shield of faith. Faith puts out the fires of doubt. Faith puts out the fires of doubt. How can I stop doubting? You've got to choose to live by faith. For, uh, in Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without wrath and doubting. Doubt affects everything. Doubt affects your prayer life. How can you pray if you don't believe God will do it? Doubt affects your Bible reading. Doubt affects your marriage. Doubt affects your soul winning and your witness for God. No one wants to hear. No one wants me here. No one wants to. Doubt affects so much of your life. When I was in, first moved here from uh, just give me a couple minutes, I'm done. But when we first moved here, I've told you the story before, but we had a, a situation come up that, uh, you know, we didn't have an answer for. And I remember getting my Bible, 22-year-old guy. Been to Bible college, still a very young man. And I don't know where my wife was at the time, but I walked into our, our living room. And I sat down and I opened my Bible. And it was a situation bigger than me. I couldn't solve it. And I said, you know what? Everybody else talks about how God comes through for them and how God has done this and God has done that during the heart. I've heard all the stories, but God, I got to see it because there's a situation here that I don't see a way out of. And I want to find out, is this true? And I wasn't trying to put God to the test, you know, but, but he does say, taste and see the Lord's good. Prove him. And I sat down and I opened my Bible and I began reading the book of Psalms, and I just said, okay, I preach this stuff, I believe this stuff, but now it's time to be real. And I knelt down, I, 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 for a long time I read my Bible, I didn't even know where to read, I was just reading, I was just turned to the Psalms and started reading, got down on my knees beside the couch, started praying, and can I just tell you, within two days, a miraculous answer to prayer came our way, unexplainable, unexplainable, other than God's hand and God's fingerprints all over it, just like... You know what it did? For sometimes for that little bit of doubt that may have creeped in, that shield of faith came and said, get out. Because God is still God. And God can do it. And can I tell you, that book found me. That book found me. And maybe you're dealing with some hard times. You have to decide to believe sometimes. You have to decide, even during the doubt, you have to say, you know what? I'm doubting a little bit. But if I know God to be true, like he said he is, 
then I know the character of my God and that he's still God and he's still on the throne. I'm going to get these influences out of my life and I'm going to choose to believe even when right now my heart and my brain are having a fight and a struggle. But I'm going to choose to believe. You don't get your name mentioned in the hall of faith without having faith and without having a trial of your faith too. So here you are in prison or maybe it's pain. Maybe it's a different kind of prison. Here you are suffering today or is sorrowful over something, or there's some darkness in your life, there's a dark day you're facing, could be health-related, could be financially, could be anything. What do you do? What you do is you reach down and pick up that old Bible, and you say, this is going to be my shield of faith. I'm going to believe the Word. I'm going to remember that God doesn't change just because my emotions do. And I'm also going to decide to get the wrong influences out of my life, and I'm going to get along with my God. And I'm going to see my God for real and let that book find me. I wonder today how many of you are dealing with some doubts. I wonder how many of you have faced something in your life that has caused you. It could be to doubt something small. It could be something to doubt the, the promises of God. Maybe you're doubting the power of prayer. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's there's some big questions and you're even thinking, is God real? Is this true? Is heaven real? And I want to encourage you, look. Everybody goes through some doubts, but what you do in the dark day really matters. Let's make sure we get to God. Let's make sure we pick up that shield of faith. Let's make sure we remember who God is, and let's get the wrong influence. Let's go let God speak to our hearts. Our Father, I pray today that, Lord, if there be some people here this morning that have dealt with doubts in the past, or, or maybe some doubt is creeping back in, maybe some just doubt your goodness. I don't know what the doubt may be. Maybe it's they doubt that that family member will ever get saved. They doubt that this situation will ever be resolved. But God, if there is some doubt, I pray that we would replace it today with faith in our God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But I just ask you, 